before we get into things, this is going to be a bit different than what we usually do. Consider it a special edition of Making It Up. We're going to be recapping and reviewing the Unexpected Connections Conference. Which happened... November 7th in Long yeah. Beach, California. What has our life come to where we can't speak off the record? We're self-surveilling ourselves at this point. Where are we right now and what time is it? It is 7.30 a.m. in Long Beach, California, and we are sitting in your hotel room. At the Hyatt Regency. Connected to the convention center where we just finished a conference yesterday. Yeah, unexpected connections. We've been trying to talk about the conference, but we keep stopping ourselves because we're like, oh, we're going to say something good and then we're not on mic. So let's just wait until we're on the mic. Yeah, that's kind of weird actually. I'm sure other podcasters have this feeling. I'm not actually sure, but I but imagine it, it, that they do. I guess it does speak to our desire to just be super unscripted. Because you think about it, I don't want to have to repeat something because I know that the second time I say it, yeah. it just won't feel the same. And also you just don't capture that immediate reaction. Should exactly. we do a recap from the morning down? Sure. Let's start at the very, very top. Maybe we, for whatever reason. The very, very top is... As in what is unexpected connections. Oh, okay. Because some people might <laughs> like not even know we did ago? this. 10 months ago? 10 months ago? So we start from 10 months All right, I'll and then start, we're going to be sitting here for eight hours. Okay, I'll start. About 10 months ago, one of our partners, Intertrend and Imprint, who are based in Long Beach. Intertrend is more straightforward, an advertising agency founded by Julia Huang, who is the mastermind also behind Imprint Culture Lab. They do things that they think push culture forward. You could call it an incubator. It's like a special projects team. Yes. Interested in thinking about and encouraging other people to do projects that might not be commercially successful or yeah. big monetary hits, but are really crucial to being part of yeah. creative Yeah, so culture. then we ended up helping organize this conference, which actually isn't entirely new. They've done it a few times over the course of the last 12 years, but this was sort of meant to be a delayed 10-year anniversary, but I think last year maybe. It's not their first go-around to do a conference, Correct. but it takes different shapes. The imprint culture lab people, they're not interested in doing the same thing all the time. They are really great about thinking about, okay, if we're going to do a conference and we're going to do it with Macon, how does that look different? Yeah. What part does Macon have in it? When we came into the picture, we were like, well, how can we do something a little bit unique? And for whatever reason- And also thing, what does Macon bring? What, yeah. what does Macon bring that imprint wouldn't do on their own? Yeah. So I guess for us, it was like conceptually, I really wanted to anchor it to something that I felt was true and unique to Macon. Maybe not necessarily unique, but true to us, where it's like, how can you find people of all different walks of creative life and find a way to connect them in these sort of disparate links? Sharice just grabbed the pamphlet. Yeah. So I'm looking at this really good looking packet for the day in front of me and just wanted to be sure I get everything right. So much happened and also our brains are probably half fried at this point. I don't actually know how you felt about the day and you don't really know how I felt about the day because I, I almost want to talk more yet. about overall our sentiments because I think that you could talk about the agenda. Maybe you can give a Well, I do want to give people, people who were not present in Long yeah. Beach should have an idea of what happened. You're just trying to induce FOMO. Ah. Well, I think a little bit, yes. So we had opening remarks via hologram set up by Vantana of John Maeda. And then Julia was great. She interacted with the hologram, but really in a very natural way. And then- It's by, funny you mentioned that because you're implying that it was scripted. It was scripted. Of course it was scripted. How could it have not been but scripted? But some people did not know it was scripted. You what? Yeah. Wait, what? Some people were like, oh, I didn't know it was scripted. I think that you could actually sell it as not being scripted on the basis that maybe there's just a lag. Like if it was- 
I mean, I knew it was scri- well. I also knew it was scripted because I knew Julia had to rehearse. Yeah, right? you knew so behind I the had, scenes. But I feel really great that people thought that was natural. Actually, and the hologram, in terms of technically, looked really good. I was impressed. So after that was an hour-long presentation by John C.J., which was so interesting because then everyone referred to that throughout the day. Yeah, actually, it was quite referential, right? But you know, it's funny. I mentioned that to him last night and he said, oh, it's just because I went first. And I was like, no, I don't think it was. Yeah, It was because John C.J. really set a tone. Yeah. At least in my opinion. I actually didn't get a chance to watch too much of it because I was setting up. Unfortunate. Really cool. I mean, the same thing happened to me with David Cho. I had to go out and get Mike. Yeah. After that was your conversation with Jason Maiden and June Cha. Yeah, I think that honestly was a good follow-up you as well. You felt so good about it afterwards? The reason why is because I think that it definitely exceeded my expectations. What were your expectations? So my expectations were like, I knew that in terms of guiding the conversation between a tattoo artist and a sneaker designer slash entrepreneur around a children's brand was something I could navigate. I wasn't afraid of that. But when it started to take its own life, when June was asking questions to Jason, like I was like, okay, my job's done here. Like I don't really need to be here guiding the conversation and moderating it. I can just be a fly on the wall. And that was a really good feeling because I think that's- Do you think it was unique to Jason and June? Do you think it came down to who they are as people or was there something about the way you facilitated it or the setup? You know what? People were asking me, you did such a good job moderating like over the course of these discussions. But I actually think the more challenging legwork is the preparation and it's finding people that are on their own, fascinating and can hold a conversation and pairing people. It's almost like a cheat code where this guy could have been interesting on his own and now you're stacking it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree because I'm just going to fast forward through the program a little bit. I moderated a conversation between Helen Zia and Madeline Brand. Helen Zia is an Asian American queer activist who has been really active for four to five decades and is a fascinating woman on her own. She could equally have done what John Jay did and did her own talk. But we set it up so she was talking to Madeline Brand, who is the host of this daily program in LA called Press Play, which is a really thoughtful presentation of local and international news coverage. And that was my personal highlight. One, I got to be on stage with these two incredible women and just felt really lucky to be there. But they were, I didn't have to do anything. Yeah. The same thing that happened to you afterwards, Tanya from Inner Trend and all these other people were like, oh, great job monitoring, which feels good, right? It does feel good when people say nice things. But really for that conversation, Helen and Madeline did all the heavy lifting. No, I think that you did a good job of asking questions Thank that you. basically seeded the idea. We do have roles. I was thinking about it. We could not be absent for you yeah. and Jason and June. I believe this too, that you could not have been... I wouldn't change it to be Jason and June one-on-one. Correct. Because that puts them in a weird position. And I know that they would feel it. Like they would feel, do I lead? Does he lead? Yes. But when you insert me or you or Julia as this moderator, then they can relax. You know what's really interesting is that, and I kind of spoke to Tanya off the record and this is, well, now it's on the record. Now it's on the record. Now it's on the record. So I recall this vividly, probably four weeks out four to six weeks out before the actual event, I had kind of an all hands on deck call with Tanya and Julia, Julia being the co-founder of Inner Trend. And I could feel it. I'm like, okay, shit, Julia's on this call. So she's probably not comfortable about something, right? And you could tell that the discomfort was around how the format was going to play out. I think in her eyes, there wasn't enough structure between the speakers and the moderator. She wasn't sure how that dynamic would play out. But I think maybe you and I having done it so often, understanding how to facilitate conversations that it was going to play out. Well, Julie also moderated a conversation. Mm -hmm. Julie was present throughout the day asking 
John Jay and Kenya Hara questions at the end of their talks. And then she moderated Jennifer Farrow, the president of KCRW, and Lindsay Jang, co-founder of Yardbird Ronin, Sunday's Grocery, and Miss Bish. And I do think Julie has a different style yes. from us. Yeah. So that might be part of why yeah. she was uncertain. I also just think it's an editorial thing. Like your quote unquote job is to interview people and facilitate conversation. Then naturally you feel more comfortable. And it's almost as though you get dropped in the middle of something random and you can figure your way out, which I feel comfortable with. And I'm sure you feel the same way too. Well, it's funny because you know that I was nervous like four weeks ago up until yesterday. But when I got on stage, I was not nervous at all. Yeah. For having 450 people in the room, I felt surprisingly at ease. I think it's because once I was there, I was doing my job. I was doing what you're saying, problem solving essentially on the spot in terms of how to respond to people. Do I need to insert myself or not? And everything else just kind of went away because I was just focused on that. I don't know. It's something I learned about myself. Okay, I'm going to be really nervous before the thing because I think about, okay, we put a lot of time into this. People paid money to be here. But when you're doing the job, that stuff, you don't have brain space for it. I know that feeling because it's kind of like when you're going to play in a big game. I think there's a 30 minute window where it's like 30 minutes before the game starts and then five to 10 minutes into the beginning of the game. And then after that, all your nerves disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we only had 45 minute conversations. So it had to go away in like the first two minutes. Yeah. What was interesting and I wanted to bring this up is that right before we were a few weeks or a week before we were about to do this thing, someone emailed us and wanted to know our opinion on the inclusion of David Cho. Yeah. Right. And I think this is a good thing to bring up because someone had emailed us. Ray emailed us, emailed us really thoughtfully about two weeks ago was not in any way accusatory or it was clear that he was being thoughtfully critical. It was kind of like in a very simplistic manner. It was like, so what's your guys' reason for having him as part of UCC, Unexpected Connections? Right. And he expressed, this is how I feel about it. And this is my concern. And I don't want to make assumptions. So I want to just know more so that I can then have a more informed opinion. on this. I went out and started doing research. So his comment was in relation to something David Cho had said. I emailed back Ray and I said, I've done what research I can without knowing David Cho personally. I told Ray that, and I would say this to anyone, I appreciate you coming to us with this concern because it does come down to each of us having to be responsible for finding out what we can and then making a decision. And you are going to make a different decision from me with the information that you have, but that's all we can do. What do you mean by a different decision? Like we can gather all the material about someone. We can try to find out whether something is true or not, or whether we think it's true or not. And then we make a decision based off of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what's most important about this is that, and it's almost like an underlying narrative to the whole conference over the course of the day is that you don't have to agree with everybody, but at least oh, no. entertain it, entertain the thought. But I also think things have to be defensible. Like we have to have a reason why someone is included. It's a decision yeah. and we have to stand behind it and or have a reason to explain. Honestly, if you don't agree with it, that's totally cool too. It is. It is yeah. totally cool. But I just want to encourage people and I think Ray totally got it. Don't dismiss something out of hand. I think the people who were present yesterday, and I think Ray is this kind of person as well. You're not just going to make an assumption about someone or some topic based off of secondhand knowledge. And I really appreciate that yeah. about the audience we have in this conference had. There are people who were open-minded really, like John Jay said, they kept an open mind. And if you hear something and you make a decision that you disagree with it, they are the type of people who will know, okay, this is why I disagree with it. Mm -hmm. That's my take. Yeah. 
And yeah. I actually really enjoyed David Cho's segment. What I, I think if you were to kind of combine the two, I watched most of it. And I was like, okay, I get it. I think that what was most interesting is that when you have someone like David Cho go up, a lot of his thing was just about his personal demons in a way and how he looks at life, how he used to look at life, how he looks at it now. What I find most fascinating is that, and someone put this at the cocktails or like after party, they're like, a lot of the conversations being had weren't necessarily revelational so much as they gave me confidence as an individual to know that, hey, you know what? Someone else is thinking this. So if yeah, David Cho- two different people said yeah. very similar to that. So it's like if David Cho is like, yo, man, I'm every fucking day I'm unhappy. Not to say that that's exactly the case, but like he has inner demons that he's facing. And when you hear someone like that, who as a facade appears to be like, yo, this guy has it all. He has money, he has fame, et cetera. This guy's going through a lot of internal stuff too. I think it gives people a certain sense of comfort, maybe relatability. What I really appreciated was how honest he was with himself and with the audience. And I know that sounds contrite, like if you weren't there, but it was sort of remarkable. Jeff Staples said this to me behind the stage before we went on for our panel. David Cho managed to ride this really fine line between being brutally honest and being offensive. And he was right there. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a kind of art because, you know, he said, fuck you to Julia. He yeah. said, I hate your shirt, John Jay. Julia introduced David Cho beforehand and said how David Cho is going to use all these obscenities just to give a fair warning to the audience. And then David Cho came on and said, I love Julia, but fuck her introduction. Yeah. I know that it's true. I'm going to use all these obscenities, but... Now that she said it, all of you are thinking, you know, and then he goes on to break down why. Yeah. And then with John Jay, he was like, oh, I last wanted night at John dinner. Jay to like me. So yeah. I told him that he had a nice shirt, but deep down, I'm like, I fucking hate his shirt or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And he was like, why did I lie? You know, why am I such a liar? We're not even doing him justice because the way he did it was in such a way that, you know, John and Julia were laughing in the audience. Yeah. They know where he was coming from. And actually, I bet. They've felt that way too. They just wouldn't say that. Yeah. So yeah. remarkable. Yeah. What I learned as well. So we did a panel together where you moderated James and I. Yeah. James Bailey, aka Yimmy Yayo. Which he hates. I've been calling him James yeah. all day, but for the listening audience. And I realize I'm not very good at speaking. I, so? I asked James so many questions. Yeah. Because I just couldn't, not I could, I tried. I tried to think to myself, Sharice, make a statement. I, I did feel at some point that I was worried that it was going to be a little bit dominating in the sense that it became a two-on-one. That was what I was thinking. Yes, I had that same worry. I haven't gotten a chance to actually talk to James since then. Yeah. And I was ready to storm off the stage, but you do it, Sharice. <laughs> I mean, it was my first time being on stage, I was preparing for my two moderation panels after. So I actually didn't really think that much about what I was going on stage to talk yeah, about. It was difficult to follow up after David Cho for sure. Oh, but someone, 100%. But actually somebody mentioned that that was their favorite panel because they felt it was the most tangible. It felt like it brought some sort of full circle because while something was a little bit more conceptual, well, a lot of the topics were a lot more conceptual. Yeah. This was like, hey, this is like the reality of doing the work. That's true. That's true. And I have two things in response. One person actually spontaneously applauded me. Yes. Which yes. was awesome. And I probably should acknowledge that. And two or three people came up 
to me and mentioned again that particular comment. What comment was it again? It was about access. Yeah. And I do feel this so strongly. I'm really, I don't know. I, I hope this doesn't come across as applauding myself too much, but I felt it was important because we were talking about everyone can do things now. Everyone has the tools. And I was saying, wait, we can't say that because actually there's still a lot of people out there who don't have equal opportunities, who don't have equal access yes. to opportunities. And even if YouTube is widely accessible, that doesn't mean they've rubbed the right shoulders or shook the right hands or are even in proximity of being able to do that. And then I got a woohoo from the yeah. crowd. Yeah. What do you think of your panel with uh, Karen O'Conquo of Tonal and Jeff Staple? That was a little bit difficult when I was live because that one, I was constantly thinking about, okay, how do I tie tonal to staple design and vice versa? Yeah. Because they are you, different. You know, it's interesting that I never felt that pressure because I was always of the belief that let's just have a conversation and let it reveal itself rather than forcing any sort of connections. The reason I felt that way is because I felt like Karen and Jeff didn't really see it themselves. Oh, Maybe, so you had to make them believers. No, they were great. They were really willing to be on stage and to talk to each other and me. But I do think before the conversation, they weren't totally clear. What do we have to say to each other mm -hmm. on the same topic? And that is the interesting thing about unexpected connections is convincing people that this works. That you're right. You're right. Like we're fully on board with the idea. I'm super confident, right? I'm confident this is a scalable idea too. Yeah, but I can understand where the concern comes from. Because you don't want to look stupid. You want to be, you know, on your A game, yeah, best foot forward, et cetera. Yeah, you want to be informed. You want to sound smart. Like I get that. And then we are putting them in a slightly uncomfortable situation where if you're Jeff, you're like, Karen does really cool work, but I'm not sure why we're sitting next to each other. Yeah. But you did see a lot of overlap. There were points where they yeah, were like yeah. discussing. I mean, because like you said, we're believers and yes. we have to make them believe, which sounds very cult-like, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, though, aside from all the programming, I think that the coolest stuff was everything that happened outside yeah, like yes. That, Let's talk about that. We've been talking about programming a lot. Yeah. To see people that you've been interacting with digitally, like a bunch of Macon members came down. Yes. Shout out to Vincent, Jerron, Willie, Kevin, Kevin Trin, Herman, Kevin's friend. Yeah. The Antidote people yeah. were there. Cece, Kyoko, who we met, listens to Making It Up. Oh my goodness. I wish I had prepared an actual name list because now I feel like- You're going to leave someone out. I feel like I'm going to leave yeah. someone out and I'm going to let them down right now. Beyond talking about like specific interactions, I think that you and I probably are in the same boat where we operate a little bit in a vacuum. We're okay with not getting validation, although it's nice to have, but this was like validation overload where you have so many people coming up to you that either know you, listen to you, read your newsletter and like, oh, great job, great job. Like, I think that was awesome for me because it reinforced that what we're doing has a purpose, right? Not to say like it didn't because we've been doing it under the belief that it exists for a certain type of person. But seeing that person in real life gives you that confidence and lets you know, hey, you know what? If shit ever feels like it's spinning its wheels or like, oh, what am I doing? You kind of have tangible things to kind of rely back on. Like, you know me, like I honestly try to disconnect myself from any sort of props, any sort of support because I feel like that stuff is never in my control, right? Mm -hmm. But when it does happen, it does feel good. And I've kind of let myself feel good about things, whereas in the past, I don't. Yeah. I think what it is for me, I think this is true for both of us. It's not that it does feel good when people say nice things about you, but 
yesterday, it wasn't about people are saying these great things about the conference and about Macon. And therefore, Eugene and Sharice, we're such awesome people. Like, we're so capable. That's not the feeling. It's that, yes, Macon is providing value. Yeah. What we're doing is impacting yeah. people in real ways. And we do need that validation yeah. because how do we know that we're hitting the mark, right? And if no one came up to us, we would have to reevaluate. Yeah. Are we doing something that isn't serving people's purpose? I think the coolest thing was to be in a conversation. Let's say you and I and two other people in a conversation and you see someone just slightly on the periphery. I saw many times where people would just pull that person in the conversation. So many people were about opening up circles. Yeah. Just going up to strangers. I mean, I have to give it up to Julia, John, Jay and John Maeda at the beginning. Because they really reinforced the concept. They really hammered it home. They were like, talk to new people, meet a new friend, make unexpected connections. And people did that. And it's funny because all these people that kind of came together, it's like, wow, this is... Right when we're coming out of the house at the after party, there's a little sort of like um, house or whatever. You got stopped by that lady who was talking to you. She's like, oh, I didn't really know what this was. Mm. You ended up having like a really long conversation with I had such... So last night at the after party, it was so great and different because the reason I was there for so long is not because I talked to very many people, but everyone I talked to, I had like a half hour conversation with. So it's like I did six half hour conversations. I think I think the thing I enjoyed the most was like, oh, I didn't know what this was or like I didn't, I wasn't coming to this with high expectations only to be blown away. Well, around when you left, one of my conversations was with a current senior at Long Beach State. She's a marketing student she wants to get into creatives. And in my head, I was like, this is our target audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kyoko too, the woman who stopped us when we were exiting the house. But the fact that Salmoon, she didn't know what the conference was about and still came. And then she felt encouraged by it and ready to take action just made it worth it. Yeah. I mean, many things have made this worth it. That was one of them. Yeah. One thing we learned that everyone kind of knows in the back of their head is that events take so much work. Work from all types of people and teams and crews and not just the people you see on stage. And I'm just so appreciative of everyone that was volunteering and working you know what? yesterday. <laughs> what I was thinking to myself, the event itself, maybe this is like the wrong way of looking at it, but I couldn't help myself. So the event, everything you see is social media. Everything looks beautiful, well well put together, organized, and then behind the scenes, not to say it was chaotic, but you you see how the sausage is made and like how much small details are accounted for. Like honestly, that event was incredibly well run. You should have seen the rundown list when like we were backstage. Very, not, only, not only was it organized, it was dynamic. It was able to move yes. and turn on a dime. They were so good at that. There was maybe some challenges with the transitions, but I would say it was quite good knowing no one did a rehearsal or run through. Yeah. Like they were kind of like the day before, like, yeah, no one came for rehearsal or run run throughs. Like everyone was doing it for the first time. Yeah. Right? But I, I was also going to say like, I honestly am okay with things not being perfect too. I almost feel really like good. it's like, if we can laugh about it and just like, hey guys, like we made a mistake. I think just personally, I'm really appreciative because it meant that I just focused on what I was doing on stage and we didn't have to worry about the other stuff. Yeah. I would really hope that the people that were involved in this project carry with them a sense of pride because they're just as big a part of everything. You know, and I I mean, if you're not there at this event, you're like, oh, like I don't really get it. But I think that just really recognizing the value of your team and 
really giving them props because honestly, in anything that you're undertaking under these circumstances, not everything requires a team. But when you're engaging a team, the most important thing to take away is that you're doing something that far exceeds what you can do on your yes. own. And that is something you should never lose sight of, whether it's an event, whether it's a project whether you're producing something, like this is something that's so critical. I was going to say something similar. I like when you can see what teamwork produces. There is absolutely no way any single person could have pulled off what happened yesterday. 100% not. Yeah, 100% not. And that's really great that there are still things that take big teams working together. Like if you really think about it, imagine if making ourselves as a distributed team tried to do this, like it'd be impossible. Impossible. Totally impossible. We could now crib all of the way they did it and possibly do it in Hong Kong. But I think the takeaway for everyone is to seek out things that need teams. It does give you something different from accomplishing something on your own. Yeah. got the following list from Tanya so that we could give a proper thank you to everyone involved with Unexpected Connections. Thank you to the 14 external volunteers, Justine, Shoko, Audrey, Tausifer, Fabian, Johnny, Nat, Lynette, Yvonne, Juan Ramon, Beverly, Janice, Jocelyn, and Sam. Huge thank you to the following list of people who on top of doing everything I'm about to say. We're also so gracious to Eugene and I, and we're such a pleasure to work with. Stacy for managing travel, lunch, and the Long Beach Museum of Art, where the after party was held. Hassie as stage manager. She also managed the stage design and the audience setup, e-blasts, and speaker collateral. Victoria managed an army of volunteers in the green room. Josh, thank you so much for leading on the brand identity for the conference, design and creative assets spanning everything from giant balloons to the speaker buckets to tote bags. Mika and Diego for helping with stage design and creative design. Randy managed the programmatic and the Q&A. Tracy managed social, luster mosaic, Q&A and influencers. Joyce managed venue and production build. Jeff also helped manage the production builds. Martha managed hologram content. You managed t-shirts and influencers. Calvin, Lucy, and Aram helped with creative assets. Sam as timer. Tommy assisting with photo and video direction. Pilar cutting checks like crazy. Corogos, including Lucy, you, Tommy, Megumi, Tyler, Aram, Jessica, Mary, Aaron, Marshall, Dakota, and Linda. Ivan, who worked on amazing flower arrangements. Kate, for helping with the internet connections and saving us 10K. Flavi, Ivan, Sunny, and Lindsay for greeting our guests all day. I cannot possibly give a big enough thank you to Megumi and Tanya for managing the making collaboration for working with me, Eugene, and Alex, even when we are not timely. They also helped with the speaker and the content planning and just overall event planning from all the way back a year ago, which I feel like I'm still understanding their role. And of course, we have to thank Julia, the boss, the goat, the person without whom the entire conference would not have happened. And it was a holistic experience. We were going to talk about things outside of programming. There was 
lunch and cocktails and the luster mosaic. It really was not just talks, but this entire, and people were there from nine to nine, this yeah, whole day That was actually thing. pretty crazy. I'm like, you guys are troopers. Like, this is another thing to keep in mind too. Like, you're not just here listening to something very superficial. It's not like a comedy you know, it's not like a comedy show where like, hey, you're just like laughing. Like you actually have to think introspectively about what's being said and like, does it make sense to me? Do I believe in this? Even I was thinking about this and my my head was hurting at the end. I'm like, there's so much stuff to take in and analyze and be considerate about. There's a lot of different ways of looking at it. Some of it is more intangible. Like how do I look at what I create in the world around me? Some are maybe more practical. What I also like just anecdotally is I was part of some conversations where one person had to step out for something because it is a full day. So different people had meetings or calls or for whatever reason, stepped out and then came back. And when these people are together, they're like, oh, were you there for David Cho? And they're like, no. And then they're telling them about it. Mm -hmm. And then the other person's like, oh, I was there for Helen Zia. Did you hear? And they weren't. And then it made my heart feel warm. Yeah. Okay. That's enough gushing about us. What what happened that was bad? What do we do better, Eugene? Mm, I don't know. Like, This is the thing, if you had the expectation this could have crashed and burned, knowing something could have happened, you know, and there's a chance it could be really good. I think this exceeded what I thought the best outcome could have been, which is a bit of a rarity, I think, you know. Now what we need to do better is to make some money. Make some money off of this. (laughs) Yeah, I find a way to make it sustainable and scalable because I I don't mean that's probably a better way of looking at it. I don't mean to make us money. I mean, make the event something that is globally scalable yes and viable yeah because this to me like is the purest arguably the purest manifestation of what Macon is I think Macon yes is about stories but stories and the connection of people in a way that you know scrolling on your screen just maybe maybe just won't afford you of course yeah of course we've known this it's not that this is new to us we just haven't really had the ability to make physical events happen but we've always known that in physical events there's something more yeah yeah that's it for me yeah let's cap it off because i can't stop staring at this weird stain on the lamp that's gross yeah i'm glad i noticed it right at the end otherwise i wouldn't have been able to concentrate well you know you should never shine a uv light in hotel uh, room, that's what right? they say yeah yeah now neither of us want to be sitting on these sofas okay yeah. then all right that is a great that place is a to- special that is a special edition of making it up this has been a special unexpected connections conference recap episode if you are interested in learning more about Macon, you can check us out at Macon.com. If this is your first time listening to Making It Up, please do listen to older episodes because this is in no way indicative of what we usually do. And if you're going to do one thing and one thing only, please share this podcast with a friend. Although this is a weird one to share. Maybe pick your favorite episode and share it. That's probably a better way of looking at it. You can also get in touch with Eugene and I by DMing us on Instagram at M-A-E-K-A-N, Macon, or emailing us at Sharice at Macon.com or Eugene at Macon.com. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.